Today's podcast is brought to you by our podcast partner, Nudgy College. Hello, I'm Patrick Hurd, Principal Consultant at Community Business Australia, and welcome to Seen and Heard, a podcast about communities and the events and issues that shape the people and organisation within those communities. My special guest today is Peter Fulliger, Principal of Nudgee College in Brisbane, and our topic is the future role of schools and what they play in developing the communities of choice. Peter has spent his 40-plus year career in education, originally training as a specialist physical education teacher, then moving progressively through middle management and now in senior executive roles as Principal of Nudgee College in Brisbane. He is also acting Director of Schools for Edmund Rice Education Australia in Queensland. Most of his experience is in boys' education, where he's held senior roles in independent colleges such as Gregory Terrace, and Iona College in Brisbane, and St Edmunds College in Canberra. Peter is a member of the Association's Heads of Independent Schools of Australia and a member of the International Boys' Schools Coalition. He's also an active community member of his local Catholic parish. Now, let's introduce Peter. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Pat. Looking forward to it. Now, we've got a lot to canvas in our conversation today. Let's start with schools coming out of this COVID period. How schools going? How's education getting back? Yeah, it's a, a really good question because it's been a fascinating time in society and, uh, and, and in schools. And yeah. saying fascinating, that's um, not being too light about the fact that it's been a health pandemic, which is, has impacted the whole world in, in really ser- yeah. serious ways. In terms of education, I think um, I can remember... Uh, the start of 2020 and as we all were mate, perhaps listening to the stories of something that was unfolding in, in China and uh, it seemed a long way away at that time but interestingly at school and at Nudgee as a boarding school within a couple of weeks of hearing that news of this is outbreak of COVID in China we had a, a small group of Asian boys, Chinese boys mm-hmm. who came to the school mm-hmm. and because of what was playing out at that time they actually went into what we now call lockdown. We had to put them into a specialist facility <laughs> as they came in it was a whole new experience for us and, yeah. and a really really uh, tough challenge for them and there's a young man there who's now in grade 10 but who came to the came to the college at that stage in in year eight with a, a sister an elder sister at university at the time left his mum and dad uh, back in China uh, that young man didn't see his parents for two years wow. um, and he would only see his sister from time to time uh, his resilience uh, was amazing and quite inspiring for all of us. But on a broader scale for education, it's been a transformative time, a challenging yeah. time yeah. in all sorts of ways. And, and, and here in Queensland, I think we've perhaps, because of our special circumstances, if I could call it that, we got off it pretty lightly compared to the schools and families in, in Victoria and in, and in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. But in the Queensland context, the challenge of lockdowns and interruptions and disruptions to schools have really tested uh, the mettle of teachers and school <laughs> leaders, families and, and, and students uh, as well. So I think out of all of that learning, and we're all about learning, then um, there's been a lot learned, a lot of good, valuable lessons uh, around adaptability, about resilience, about ability to change and meet challenges. And mm. I give great credit to, to teachers in, in all schools uh, across Queensland and I think across Australia, the way they've, they dealt with those challenges during mm. that time mm. to change long-held teaching practice in a really quick period of time to then provide meaningful education for young people. I remember us talking at the time and I was just so impressed how rapidly 
your school and your staff responded to the sort of online learning platform? And, and what was it called, Nudgy? Uh, we called it Learning at Home. Learning Nudgy, at home. Nudgy at Home was yeah, real, yeah. real it became. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was very good. Impressive how everyone rallied around and really got those programs up and running so fast. Yeah, it was, uh, just inc- it was incredible there, the, the way teachers bought into what we had to do. Yeah. Um, and we've got a number of brilliant young teachers who then, who, who as younger people in the staff room, actually led more senior teachers who were challenged by, well, how am I going to teach to these young people on the screen? How do I do that? So there's a lot of collaboration in staff rooms and a lot of preparation yep. time, but for invaluable invaluable outcomes. And we did all sorts of uh, amazing things during, during that time within school to keep boys connected. Um, in the case of boarding, where boarders had to go home, but they had to keep a sense of connection, that had um, year-level meetings or boarding meetings where all the boarders would come into a boarding meeting and um, and I, I know some boarding families who shared their mums and dads listening to what teachers were telling their sons that they found that quite motivating and inspiring and, and reassuring about what was going on we had uh, all sorts of amazing challenges in the rugby program there was uh, <laughs> the rugby challenge where boys were doing all sorts of crazy shots for goals and in other areas of school life it was teachers doing cooking and cooking their favorite meals and then boys modeling that cooking their favorite meals and, and sharing it online so I think for us there was a the learning component of it but there's also keeping people connected and to that sense of belonging that so important to schools. What, what do you think you take from this period in terms of, you know, for example, the use of technology in education that might be more normalised in the future as far yeah. as education goes? I think there's all sorts of things that we're doing at schools in different ways because for a period of time now we haven't even been able to gather. Um, it's only during this past term where schools could come back as yeah. a whole group yeah. and that's such an important ritual, yeah. a weekly ritual and almost every school you bring everybody together so we had to do that in a in a different way and we've been able to keep those connections yep. by doing it online and, and we've and we've been resilient, we've been creative, I think every school has had their own way of, of, of doing that as we created, we had a bit of a studio, you know, we felt like it was Channel 9 News occasionally, <laughs> um, you know, broadcasting to, to families far and far and wide so... Uh, it was terrific, but schools have been challenged to to rethink the classroom and what happens in that, but also other aspects and dynamics to, to school life. But at the heart of it, it always goes back to that relationship, teacher and student, and finding yeah. ways to connect. That's not to say that as, I guess, over time we'll return back to the more comfortable ways, um, but I think we've also learnt that there's alternatives to, do, to doing that. Yeah, there are some you know, good learnings, aren't there, from this period uh, for, for every sector that we work in. And the only, only other thing I should add, Pat, before we move on, on to that is I think also the whole health thing about mm. hygiene and how we work and interact. There's been a change and shift in young people mm. and I think that's perhaps a good health outcome in, into the future as well. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Now let's talk about you. Uh, you trained initially as a physical ed- education teacher. In fact, one of our earlier guests, Dr. Cliff Mallett, I think was uh, absolutely a classmate of yours he uh, was. some some time back. And Far more uh, talented than me, I have to say. <laughs> so that that's a overachieving group. That group, there's just a few in that group that I'm I'm aware of in terms of their careers. Um, did you ever envisage, you know, when you're a young man, that this would be how your 
your career would unfold into these pretty senior executive roles that you've evolved to from those those uh, very early days uh, back in the 70s and 80s. Now, it's interesting the journey for you know for us as educators or as, as leaders in whatever area of the community we might be in that I think oftentimes it unfolds in all sorts of ways that that you actually can't imagine when you're a, yeah. a younger person first first beginning beginning as a teacher and I do remember beginning uh, as a PE teacher in the 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 early 80s and I remember the Pink Floyd one of the I think it was number one or two on the thing was hey teacher leave the kids, kids alone <laughs> if you remember that I time do, video I it was do. a very dark dark video and yeah. I used to drive to school of a morning with that was playing on the radio <laughs> it was a little bit intimidating for a young guy at the time I have to say sure. but uh, well we might have left the kids alone in some ways but you've got to interact with kids and find ways to do that and that's been one of the great joys and uh, of that journey is about the young people that you, you've encountered over time yes, and yes. who you now encounter, encounter sometimes as young young men on their own journey as family men and, and careers and so on it's it it's a real real privilege to uh, re- and reward with that you actually can't see when you're a young a younger person I think in terms of education and and while I ended up in PE I think there's something alluring about uh, being a PE teacher back as a as sure, a young guy there sure. was something or at least it was was alluring to me but the notion of education was something that was invaluable and I think that was instilled by mum and my mum and my dad Pat and Barney who had very little education. They they were products of of the nineteen thirties and on forties and and the depression years and World War World War Two. They had very limited education, but one thing they knew was they really valued it. They had the big Catholic family. We were the typical Catholic family of the time, seven kids sharing bedrooms with my two brothers and so on, and uh, uh, it, it was a rare thing, and we were all still connected. But mum mum and dad really valued education, and mm. they didn't belt that into us in, in that went, but they certainly motivated that for us to, to aspire to be to be the best we could be or to push ourselves in terms of education. I think I bought into that... Um, you know, in, in lots of ways. So beginning as a teacher, I would never have imagined that, hey, you're going to end up at Nudgee College yeah. uh, as principal. And again, I ask this question of all our guests. Did you, did you plan out the journey that's got you to where you are now? And how did it, how did it unfold from your perspective? Um, I don't think I planned it, but um, I think there's something innate in some of us who, who, who want to be, be leaders, even if... I think when you're, again... There's something, um, we live our lives looking forward. Someone much wiser than me said, you live your life looking forwards, but you understand it by looking back. And, right, and, yeah. and in some ways, as looking back, I can see it now as a younger person that some, some leadership opportunities came to me in an unexpected way. I remember being acting PE, head of PE at, ta- at Town High, Townsville High School, in about my fifth year of teaching. And I sort of did it because it just came that way. I wasn't particularly aspirational and was how things were done at that time you just asked would you want to do it and I did it and I can still remember another, a young female teacher who was in in the department with me at the end of the term she said I'd really like to work with you I'd really like to work for you and 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 that was a really interesting thing mm. and I wish I'd asked her why because I really I never <laughs> did I thought oh that's a nice thing to say but I yeah. never really thought about it too much and she gave me a little bit of confidence that I could be a leader in some ways over time and then I moved out of education Queensland I started my journey in Catholic education Catholic boys education started a long time ago at Iona College and um, really privileged and uh, grateful for the the oblate priests who were there who gave me gave me opportunity and I started as head of PE there and then I was running the sports program 
And I can still remember being in my office one day and Father Maroney, I won't do the Irish accent, might put people <laughs> off the podcast, but <laughs> Father Pat comes down to me and uh, Father Pat says, and I was a married man with a young family at the time, um, he said, oh, Peter, I'd like you to be doing the, uh, I'd like you to be Dean of Students, looking after the sort of naughty boy business as it was in those days at the school. I said, okay, Father, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I said, what about the sport? Do you, what, will I, what will happen with the sport? That's oh, no, right. you'll be doing that as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, it just about killed me, to be fair. I did it for about a term and, and, and it just about killed me, but also taught me, well, I got confidence out of, of senior management, you know, that I could be a leader in a school and other things unfolded from my own. I went to Gregory Terrace, which was a, which was a, a challenge in some ways. So sometimes in, as a leader, you've got to stretch yourself and challenge yourself mm, and mm. have a little bit of courage to have a go. And I can remember going to, to Terrace. I'd had a long time at, at, at Iona, loved the Oblates and the school, but another opportunity unfolded to be deputy at, um, at Terrace and I'm grateful for those years because that was another step up mm. um, of expectation. I felt every day I went there, I can remember driving into Spring Hill uh, to that school and in the car it's like you know, taking a deep <laughs> breath and go, okay, mate, you've got to step up here and really got to bring your A game every day and uh, I think I did that and I learned, you know, because it's a high-performing school, yes. high expectations, great community and I, again, drew confidence out of that experience, which led me to St Edmunds College as principal in Canberra. And I went to Canberra, didn't know anyone, didn't know a soul in Canberra, to be fair. But I took that opportunity with Edmund Rice Education to go down there and uh, did six years there, and which was a little bit longer than I thought it would be. And I was a bit of a fly. I don't want to get too personal, but I was a fly-in, fly-out principal because my family was still back here in Brisbane. Oh, right. So there was a real personal challenge as well as a professional challenge. But again, you could take confidence out of... I hope doing an okay job and out of that and I think only out of taking the challenge on at St Edmunds and doing your best as you could be and learning a lot of valuable lessons there by some good things you do and by the mistakes you make as well led me to to uh, Nudgee College. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I sort of pick up that along your journey, um, as you say, you, you, you've got to test yourself and you've got to say yes to opportunities. Correct, absolutely yes. And, uh, you know, you've got this innate drive to say I want to challenge myself further is that yeah I think somewhere? so and, and I think that's a, an understanding over time and ambition sometimes can have a slightly shadow side to it yeah. oh, it's in thinking about myself I don't feel I'm overly ambitious in the way that word might sound sometimes but yeah. I am ambitious to do the best and I set myself high standards and I work hard and I think out of that comes the next thing comes uh, as you know as it's unfolded over time and I can remember in in response to the yes at the time that I was offered the the same week almost the same day that I that the job was offered at St Edmunds to go to Canberra my older stepdaughter at the time Ellie was uh, elected as the in year 11 to be the school captain the next yeah, year at Loretto right. College. So it was a real dilemma. If I was to go, was, you know, it was never going to take her away from that opportunity. No. So I had to leave. You know, we had to say yes in the face of, of... And many people said to me at the time, why would you go? You can't go. You've got to stay. And some very wise people said, you've got to take that opportunity. Yeah. And I bought into that. I want to delve into some of your roles currently because um, I want to give our listeners a bit of insight, you know, in the sort of day in the life of someone that leads a school like Nudgee. Mm. So let's talk about Nudgee first. Um, for those that, that aren't aware of Nudgee, maybe just give us a bit of an overview of the size and scope of, of Nudgee uh, as, a, a, as a fairly prestigious school here in Brisbane. And then let's talk about what's involved leading 
a college like that. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Look, you have to be careful here that you get me talking about Nunji. I might go on for quite a, quite a long time because it's a, a place I love uh, and, and it's a great privilege to, to work at that, at that school. I guess a few facts about Nudgee and then a little bit of a, a, an insight maybe into culture. Uh, some of the facts, 1,700 boys, uh, a boarding school. We've got 300 boarders there who come from all, all over, over the country. Uh, there's 136 hectares of property to, to, to look after. We have a, a turnover of over $60 million a year. We have a staff, a staff of some 900 people who would work at Nudgee through across a year. Um, at the heart of that would be 150 teachers. So there's a whole raft of people who come into the place in part-time capacities in a whole range of areas. Yeah, I, could, yeah, yeah. I, could, I could talk about that. And it's got a beautiful and a very proud history, 131 years yeah. of school servicing. And it started as a, always started as a boarding school out there in, out there in, real, in Virginia into Boondle. would have been a really humble space when they first built. But uh, Brother yes. Tracy had bold ambitions for that place and built that beautiful, iconic Tracy building back in the day. So was um, it Ambrose Tracy that opened that school as correct, well? Correct, correct. Oh my Which, Lord, he was yeah. a busy man. He was an amazing entrepreneur. He came, he was an Irishman as the Irish yeah. Catholics were at the time, Irish priests and nuns and brothers. They were extraordinary people and while there was a shadow side to their legacy, which is quite sad in this time, there were also some great men and women who, who were the beneficiaries in Catholic education today and society yeah. on, on the generosity and the, and, and, and the, the spirit of those good people. I, I, when people ask me about Nudgee, uh, if I'm interstate or whatever, I say, well, just picture a small city. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like in yes. terms of its scope and size and in in space and the like. So it's it's a magnificent facility and wonderful opportunities for, for boys. So tell us now a bit more about the role leading, you know, such an organisation like that. Firstly, it's, a, it's an absolute privilege, and I might have said that already at a time. So I, in terms of that role, it's, it's absolutely dynamic from day to day and within every day, mm. um, and that dynamism is, is rewarding but also challenging. You, mm. um, and there's perhaps, because of the size and scope of, of the college, there's a, a little tension... I always see myself as a principal and in principal in brackets teacher, even though I don't teach anymore. You always mm. come from that mindset. But there's also a like a CEO, CEO mindset that yes. you have to bring or an approach to certain things. Now, yeah. I wouldn't label, I'd never label myself as a CEO, but a, but you've got to think a little bit like that. And at times you've got to be the mayor as well. Going back to your analogy, <laughs> town, you've got to be, you're the mayor of Nudgee Town <laughs> a, 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 a occasionally. Sure. So at the heart of that, that, that the teaching role as principal, then it's about the young people people who come there every day and it's about their learning it's about their learning academically it's about their 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 well-being and looking after them and it's also their faith development because we're a catholic school and so those three things are i guess are the uh the pillars of, of what would happen every day so to support those 1700 boys and do all that's there there's a whole other operations the boarding school i mentioned there mm. We run a mini bus line. There's facilities that are there, which are we're great beneficiaries of, of what's come from the past, I guess, the pool, the running track. But we also try to operationalise those so they are small business units within the school, which in a school context are generating some sort of return on that investment, which then goes back into that, the big bucket to, 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 to operate uh, the, the enterprise that, that is nudgy. And the, the, the thing I, I observe, and, and having had boys go through... Um, education of uh, Edmund Rice schools the principal's role it seems to be seven days a week it like it seems to be pretty full-on is that 
in your case? Yeah, I, I have a saying that um, my job's sort of a job and a half, you know, because yeah. it's 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 uh, not quite two two full time. No one can do that, but it's a kind of a job and a half. It is, oh, it's six days for sure because you're there on Saturdays, which are great community days. And at Nudge, I always say if we get if we get Monday to Friday right in terms of classroom behaviour and all those good things, then Saturday will be even better, you know, because yeah. teenage boys, if it's all it's all about Saturday for them sometimes. <laughs> so you've got to keep that keep that in balance and perspective, but um. Uh, because we're a boarding school, there's boys who are there all all term, and so sort of nudgy never sleeps. It's a twenty four hour a day, seven day a week operation. Things are, are happening in activities and uh, in a whole range of levels. But you've got to keep eye on the core business, which is that teaching and learning, making sure that's done well. But uh, around that, there's a whole range of other things that you know your average school doesn't doesn't have, or probably wouldn't want to have. To be fair, mm. now I want to delve into. Your your approach to leadership, and, and let's let's keep continue on the theme of of Nudgy and and your role there as principal, CEO, mayor, <laughs> um, and uh, firstly, just give us your general view about um, about leadership. Obviously, you know you you've evolved from being in the classroom and leading boys in that environment to now you know deputy principal and then principals of a number of schools throughout uh, Queensland and and uh, the ACT so what's your general view on leadership and then also delve more into that firstly in terms of leadership in the educational context and being principal yeah it's really important to remind yourself even though you no longer teach and and there would be Probably we've got 150 teachers. Well, 149 of them would be better teachers than I am today. <laughs> I, I expect I've been de-skilled in that way. But I've got to be the leader in in schools and principals got to be leaders of learning. So to, re, to re-emphasise all the time the importance of what's happening in the classroom. The most important thing that happens at Nudgee is period five on a Friday afternoon, you know, that maths yeah. teacher, that biology class, that year five classroom, that's the core business. And so encouraging the teachers and reminding them how important that is, is essential. So while I'm not in the classroom, I'm making sure that message is loud and clear, working through those people who do lead in those areas and that we are trying to do innovative things, creative things, as well as traditional things that work for work for, for young young people. So leader of learning uh, is an important title within the school. But in terms of my overall concept of, our, of leadership, mm. I probably use the Catholic notion of, of servant leadership. I see mm. leadership as service is something I've certainly been instilled with me either oftentimes by observation when I think of looking at the oblate priests who I work with at at Iona looking at the Christian brothers and I could name some beautiful men brother Vic Damien Price who's still with the brothers and many people would know of Damien but some of the principals who I've served with either at at Iona at Terrace and and, and places who were influential in terms of how they approached it so that I think it's a bit of a Catholic notion, but not exclusively so, that notion of leadership as service of others. And that could be the service of the young people who come to the school, the parents who come to the school, but also the staff and community community members. Having said all that, I guess we all have to bring our own, own approach and the essentials that are important. So for Pete Fulliger, it's around being authentic. You know, I think I've worked that out about being authentic to what I'm about, you know, what, who I'm about. That's taken reflection and that's taken some study. There's that formal part to it as well. And, and integrity is a big important, really important to me be, to be a person of integrity. Uh, so what you say and what you do matches up. And I think that's a bit of a thing for me. 
leadership's around relationships and particularly in schools it's all about relationships it is about learning but learning won't happen if relationships aren't aren't right if relationships aren't respectful if relationships with teachers with students with parents aren't aren't in alignment then that, that then that's not going to going to happen you mentioned a, a few individuals through your journey that that potentially have shaped your view um, you've also your own studies your I'm guessing your your family uh, your strong Catholic uh, background with your your large catholic family but have there been any particular mentors for you has there been any people that you you seek out in terms of this journey you've taken as as an education leader over your career a bit of a bowbird i don't think i've never had a mentor but i would probably have a range of people who i've tapped into either in 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 uh in in informal ways or in or formal ways but also people I observe and things I look for and things okay. I read about is something more more for me. Um, I know when I was a younger leader, we would have supervision as leaders, which was really helpful at that time. Uh-huh. And in some ways in recent years, are probably is there a mentor I'm sometimes looking for? Where is that person you know, who could mentor me? But I haven't found them. Um, they're out there, I'm sure, but I haven't quite found them. So sometimes it's that, that overall influence as well as those informal influences you mentioned family. Yeah. If I think of you know, my immediate family today, my wife's a leader in Catholic healthcare. And, and so we have some really informative and influential discussions around the kitchen table or about leadership. Um, I learn a lot from her. I, a brother-in-law who is a leader in sport. I've had some really interesting conversations with him. But there's also the formal parts to leadership, and I can remember being um, uh, attending the Centre for Creative Leadership. I went to a course, a residential course in the US, and it was very influential um, in terms of my leadership development in a formal way. Mm. It was a leadership, in st- it was a course in strategic leadership. As many business people around the table or in the room, but I can remember feeling while initially starting that course a little bit lost. Uh, by the end of the week, I felt that I was making some really important contributions because you bring a different dynamic into that com- into that com- conversation. So all of those things. And given education, as you say, is really a people business. I mean, it's all about people, isn't it? Absolutely. And so for you, it's been about forming those relationships that I can see over those uh, that career that wherever you've been, you've you've worked hard to form those relationships with the people you're working with, the students, that supporting the teachers in terms of that teacher learning environment. So. Uh, that sounds like a bit of success strategy from your perspective. Yeah, you I think agree? so. And again, you, you, you perhaps um, you're doing it intuitively and you're not knowing that that's the outcome that's going to come, be, mm. come out of it. Um, but in, what I've learned over time is yeah, you build those relationships with people, then down the track something good does come because you know those relationships that I built perhaps back in Terra some years ago or at Iona, invariably there are links back into them or you back, link back into people and if you've been respectful and you develop that rapport with them and you develop a sense of trust and they trust you, you trust them, then good things can happen You know, some years down the track that you can never visualise looking forward. And now a quick word about our podcast partner, Nudgee College. As a boarding and day school for boys year 5 to 12, St Joseph's Nudgee College in Brisbane develops confidence in capable young men. With its diverse academic, sporting and arts programs and its well-designed state-of-the-art facilities across an expansive campus, Nudgee College is the perfect place for boys to learn, to grow and to be challenged. St Joseph's Nudgee College, where opportunities await and journeys begin. For enrolment inquiries or to find out more, visit nudgee.com. 
Now, I want to sort of change tack a bit because for, uh, for those listeners that aren't aware, Nudgee is an all-boys school and uh, has been for 135 years. And in fact, I was going to comment on that earlier. It's not that many businesses that can operate for over 100 years. So that's a, a great achievement in itself in many it respects, is. isn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's just a, a remarkable achievement. So that, that uh, I'm sure is celebrated regularly. But just to the question then of your views about single sex versus co-education, just, you know, from your experience, you know, what are your views? Look, I've had a, a long career in, in, in boys' schools, so I'm a bit of an advocate for all boys' schools, but I'm also... Um, can see there's a place for all forms. There's no one size fits all. Yes. As good as Nudgee might be or, or, or St Edmunds was in, in, in Canberra, it's not built for every every boy or, or any any school is, is ideal for every student. So I think it's, a, it's great that in Australian education and Queensland education we've got so many good choices mm. for parents, be they single-sex boys or single-sex girls be they be co-educational, whether they're education Queensland, Catholic schools or independent schools, there's an array of choice and I think that's to be celebrated. And there are voices who would say, well, you know, single sex should be closed, Catholic schools should be closed, but really in an area where we sell in an era where we celebrate diversity, there is that diversity mm. there and, and that gives parents choice. The choice to say what's best for Johnny, what's best for, for Mary or whoever it may be in their family, to what's best for them. Because no school, even if we've got three boys, Nudgee doesn't always work for the three sons if they come. And, and I value parents who sometimes will make a different choice to take a, a son who's not... A big boy school wouldn't fit. That's okay for me. Having said, having said all that, I think in, there, there are challenges in today's world for all boys schools. Yes. Um, and, and we've got to face up to that. Um, because if we look, there's... You know, if we look at Australian society where we're at, we look at where men are at today, we've only got to look at domestic violence and I think men need to have a good hard look in the, in the mirror. Mm. Uh, we need to look at men's health and some of those things around men's well-being that, that are concer- con- con- concerning. So there's mm. something in there we all need to, to... There's a question we need to be asking ourselves about. And I really don't understand... I struggle to understand where... In, if I look at domestic violence, where, why has this happened? Where has it come mm. from? I don't quite understand the why and I'm, I haven't got the answer. I know at, at, at Nudgee we do a whole lot, as many schools do, about the forming of young people and forming of good good, good moral character in, in young men. We really try to model that and, and shape that. There, there are other forces in society and I think um, while the government or whoever, can, we can have a, a little initiative there and another initiative over there, I think there's something around a systems approach between, between government, between family between agency and between that individual to try to address systemically uh, you know what's our system approach to solving domestic violence mm, you know mm. there's the punitive approach which should be hit in, in certain cases will, will needs to be but that's not the, the be all and end all that won't solve domestic violence mm. it, look, you pick up on some you know really important social challenges we have in 2022 um you know domestic violence are, are, we have a number of clients that work in that space and the statistics are just horrendous in terms of the, the, the increasing numbers. You talk about um, um, you know, uh, the well-being of young men and, and our family has been recently touched by a you know, tragic youth suicide and, and you think, what's happening in, in young men's thinking that you know, th- this is their behaviour? So, yeah, I think that's, 
it's very important that we have a systemic approach to uh, what, how we're developing the next generations. Absolutely. Um, um, because there are significant challenges for young people as they're growing. But in saying that, do the boys have you know, connections with girls as they... Uh, at Nudgee, for example, is that part of well, their well, there, there, there's those things happening in formal and informal ways because it's important that they do while we're seeing, yeah. you know, all-boys school. They need to interact and learn respectful relationships, learn how to to, to get along, and uh, that's really important. So we do that. There's lots of ways that we do that. Um, if I was thinking about our boarding boys, uh, you know, a couple of times a year, um, we have a boarding formal dinner where the, the young ladies come from Stuart home. We come over and share a meal, and it's a lovely, lovely, okay, <laughs> lovely occasion. But there's also informal, other informal events: a Friday afternoon netball games with 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 Saint Rita's girls, or touch football with Saint Rita's, and then there's the the, the school dances that they go to the school formal, which is around around right. the corner. They're the things the school organises and. I dare say of a weekend, there's the occasional thing families are organising, social sure. get-togethers for, sure. for young people and we hope that they're, they're, they're all with the best of intentions. The, the second area I wanted to touch in on is more of a policy area around you know, the future of education and it, again, it's a very topical issue. We've just had a, a federal election and, and uh, a change of government in Australia and uh, we have a Labor government now that um, is early in its, in its next tenure. But there always tends to be around this period of time um, this call for the, the funding of education in the future. And, um, you know, it's a big historical issue, as you sure would understand. There's this campaign almost that seems to really push governments hard not to fund the alternative options of Catholic and independent colleges and Christian colleges and a whole range of uh, uh, private education providers but put all that funding into, you know, state-run education-funded schools. What's your general view about funding for education now and into the future? Yeah, it's, it's been an issue, uh, an ongoing issue within, within education for some time, as you've said, Pat. I think if you looked at uh, the Labor platform, I think they're supportive of, of, of where education is. I think potentially uh, the Greens having more of a say, I don't want to get too political, but I think their platform is certainly, uh, they're, they're, they're no friends of, of independent education, they're no friends necessarily of Catholic education um, and the funding there, thereof. But anyway, that's the, probably a conversation for another day. What, what I would say around funding, again, is to understand the nuance of funding. State governments fund education Queensland schools and independent schools and Catholic schools like Nudgee get very little funding from the Queensland, edu- Queensland government. Uh, that's how it is structured. Where does our government funding coming from? From the federal government. So sometimes when people are analysing, look at all this money that is being spent federally and the, st- the federal government doesn't spend money on, on education uh, in the states. No, they don't. That's the state responsibility. So is that, that differential always? Mm. It is also true that, that uh, good men and women around the country pay taxes... And that taxes go to to paying for services in education. Yep. Now, if again freedom of choice and enable parents to say, well, I pay my taxes, but I also want to support my son or daughter's education by making a choice away from education in Queensland. So why shouldn't my son or daughter's education be supported through um, those taxes that I pay? Mm. So to, for them to be able to to expect that should happen, I think again. Um, is around freedom of choice mm-hmm. and is around diversity and, and there's a place in the, Catholic, in the education marketplace for Catholic schools, for independent schools, for government schools and in all of that, is, you know, the biggest growth area in, in schooling has really been in 
while we call it independent, sometimes we'll think of the big grammar schools. The biggest growth in Australian education has been in Christian schools, mm. who is oftentimes on the fringes of, of, of the big cities and towns around, around the country. Correct. And those families aren't privileged families uh, with big wages or big incomes, but they are families who will make a sacrifice because they believe that school, Christian school or whatever it may be, a, a religious school of some denomination, can provide the standards and the, the uh, values that the local government school can't. So again, taking a perspective on that, I don't think it's around lowering the standards of any of the any schools, but if, it, if we were to say, well, okay, we need to improve the standard of education, well, let's raise everyone up as opposed to drop some down to meet a lower standard. Finally, I want, I want to really talk about a, an important issue for many of our clients, uh, Peter. It's, you know, across Australia, institutions, let's call them that, at once were really an important part of our lives. And, and, and you and I both have grown up in the Catholic institution, that Catholic world. And, but they've been through significant upheaval and, and, and many are struggling for relevance in the modern society. We recently had the 2021 uh, survey information come out through the census and you know that's showing what we probably all knew that there's a significant decline in those people identifying in, in the various communities that we call the faith communities as an example um, I guess by way of example in, in the sort of our Catholic example the, the parish community uh, was once in my growing up was a really vital part of our Catholic families and Catholic communities but my observations are that that's not as relevant as it might have been in our generation um, to the next generations coming through. And, and the role from parents and community, and people still look for communities in my view, and they seem to be gravitating around schools. Firstly, your opinion first, if, if you agree with what I'm observing as well. Yes, the, the premise of, of your observation is true. I mean, we, stats tell us about the changing dynamic in, 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 in Australia and respect to, to the church and, and institutions. And there's perhaps good reasons and reasons that are hard to understand why that, why that has shifted so, dramatic, so dramatically. So it, it'd be fair to say, although some might argue this point, you know, if there are a local parish priest or whatever, they may want to have a have, have go a few rounds on this one. But it is true that Catholic schools, big entities, have taken the role of the parish in some ways. Mm. Um, it is it's clear, clear, clearly the case. Part of that is is the community that 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 sense of community that big schools like Nudgee provide to their families. It's a sense of community, there's a sense of belonging, a sense of connectedness that they experience when they come to into, those, into that school environment, which, which fills a void that they, they, they don't have. And that mm. void was once filled by, perhaps by the parish and by coming together on the Sunday morning, as families did back in the day. They don't do that, any, they don't do that anymore. The school certainly fills that in terms of a sense of community. We're providing through our education programs, through our outreach programs, through, through retreats and immersion experiences. We're, 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 we're filling the faith gap for our young people. Yeah, yeah. We're filling the gap for young people, a sense of, hey, we need to do something for others. What are we doing for the poor? What are we doing for those marginalised? And I think Catholic schools are doing some fantastic things in that, that space, which are shaping the hearts and minds of young people and planting seeds, which I guess hopefully we'll, we'll produce wonderful things into the into the into the future i think there's a challenge i'd go to another layer in that question as well there's a bit of a challenge for families too because i think of families as i see it from my perspective sometimes they're, they're looking at the school to us to be the faith educators of their, their yeah. children today as well 
Yeah. I don't think they've abrogated. If I was a bit harsh, they've abrogated their responsibility to the school. Mm. So they do an RE classes and they do masses at school, so that's good enough. So occasionally I say to our boys, you know, come to Easter when it comes to church celebrations, to Christmas time, I'm sort of saying, hey, boys, you challenge your parents, get your mum and dad to take you. You yeah. need to go. You should be there. Yeah. So don't wait for mum and dad to take you. That may or may not happen. Family life is different. The dynamic is different for so many, so many of them. But there is still a need for young people, children, to be educated and formed by good practice by by parents. And sometimes parents can't do it for whatever combination of reasons. So it falls to to the schools. And and I think we do. I think we do a pretty good job. Peter, finally, I mean, time just flies in our conversations. Um, you've had a forty-year career in education, but I'm keen to hear now your your aspiration for education in Australia in the future. I mean, it sounds like you think it's in pretty good shape, but what would you like to see for the future for education in Australia? Yeah, look, I think I've always been uh, be an optimist about things and I've always had a... Uh, I, I see the effort that teachers make in classrooms and working with young people. While you can't find the measure of were they successful or not, I just see I'm always positive about their input and, the, and how that shapes young people in 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 that period of time if I'm looking beyond that though in terms of what's education about and and that vision thing there's always the challenges of the present moment COVID the last couple of years Ukraine interest rates or whatever and occasionally not necessarily um, in those instances education seen as the knee jerk well let's educate them and that'll solve that problem as 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 as, as, as we as we should and that may be may be the case, but there are bigger currents that flowing in society that I think we need to address. And I guess if I'm thinking of two things in terms of the, my vision for education into the future, this that notion it's not mine and it's been well shared over many years about lifelong learning. Yep. I think it's just a, it's an absolute truism and will continue to to be so. Whatever level of education or trade qualification or university qualification a young person's going to get today, they're only going to add to it. They're going to build on that wherever they, wherever they be, and they'll need to develop their skills, um, skills with their hands or their minds to be good and effective contributors in a workplace. But you know, skills if we could call it the attributes, habits of mind, of thinking, and of their hearts to be good, good, good colleagues as, as well. So, lifelong learning, and I think there's a challenge there. If we look at the big currents in society, you know, the transition that the economy is going through to be decarbonised is a challenge, but also there's opportunities there. The move towards artificial intelligence, which I don't fully, you know, I can see coming. Don't understand a whole lot about it, but I can see, I can see that coming, and then. The disparity that's in society, the great disparity between the super rich and the poor is going to be a challenge. So to educate young people to deal with that and be able to contribute economically, to be able to make an ethical decision and challenge and question, you know, I think is important. Um, and, and to balance out economics with ethics, with with where are we going in society. I think that's all part of the education of young people as individuals but also as a society I guess the second part one, while well, there's like the notion of lifelong learning as being a, being an attribute, but I think also see the transformative power of education. And mm. I could tell you story after story oh, yeah, of young people yeah. that I always see the trans transformation of of young people as as important. And um, if you look back to you know the 
our backgrounds in terms of Catholic Irish, I mean, that those vision of your parents and my parents, and even before then, the generation before that, they saw the need for education. It's still just as important today. Absolutely. Yeah, I could, two, two stories. I could share more. Two would one would be uh, a young Indigenous boy who came to us. He and his brother came from Winton, a humble Indigenous family out in Winton, and that young man was college captain at Nudgee two years ago. Wow. And he and his brother, who was a little bit older than him, they're both now in medical training at, at University of Queensland. They both want to go back and be rural and regional uh, medicos. They both want to go back and contribute to improving the health outcomes for Indigenous people. And I, you see, you know, they're, they're a beautiful family um, and, and you see the power of education for those young people Check. and the potential into the future. And one is a kind of a story of the past which has a current day chapter would be a young, young old boy, sorry, an older old boy now who was once a young man, lived at Sandgate, used to ride his bike along Sandgate Road, looking at those big buildings. Anyway, he jumped off his bike one day, went and knocked on the door and talked to brother who was the headmaster at the time and uh, he said, oh brother, I want to come to this school. Can I come to this school? family didn't have have money to pay for him to go and brother obviously saw something in this young man and said okay I'll, I'll give you a crack so he, he he was allowed to come to Nudgee and the brothers would have supported him with a gen- generous with just generosity whether parents ever paid fees I'll never know he went on to university became a pharmacist and he built a, an empire a business empire out of that he and his wife fantastic he's been incredibly successful that's a good news story He lost two sons, two adult sons, during COVID when we were in lockdown in Queensland. And so they had a, they had, and both funerals were had to be held at Nudgee under strict COVID protocols. Very, very small numbers. Two sons lost in six weeks. Just incredible situation of circumstances of bad health outcomes. And, And while that was an absolute tragedy and the school stood right beside him during that time and we were with them when, when, when it was hard for anyone else to be there. Um, and they were supported online by a whole lot of nudgy people. You know, and, and for he and his wife, they came back to me recently at the school and they said, we want to give back, we want to set up a family bursary. We want to support someone to come to Nudgy. Not a level A student, not a yeah. footballer, not a cricketer, not anyone, just an average boy to come to Nudgy. And so we've set up this, this fund, which it was, and it was an absolute privilege sitting with them, wow. and they shared their motivation and the story of why we're there. It was an absolute privilege moment as principal to be part of that and that journey for him and his family and for some families who are to come to Nudgee. It's a wonderful legacy. And you're right, there's thousands of stories like that, and the power of education is as important today as it was 100 years ago and, as you say, will be for many, many years to come. Peter, been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for your time and uh, all the best with your continuing career. Yeah, well, Pat, it's been absolutely um, a privilege to be part of it today, so thank you. Thanks, Peter, and thanks to our podcast partner, Nudgy College, for making this interview possible. Also, thanks to Derek Tan and his team at Generator, our marketing communication consultants, for producing this podcast. Join us again soon and we'll talk to another industry leader about issues that shape our community. Until next time, I'm Patrick Hurd and this is Seen and Heard.